0: We're here. And there's so many things happening around us. And this teaching today was what I was gonna teach a couple of weeks ago. Things happen. Everybody say "Things things happen. All right, man, we're there. But this teaching has something to do with structure and order, has something to do with being able to identify God's heart when it comes to organizing things God is a God of structure and he's a God of order that even in things that seem out of order with God they're not out of order they're starting to move into order thunder and lightning is scary sometimes but there's an order behind that there's something about when when two people come together listen to this When Eddie met Francis, there was something that took place there. In the beginning, it may seem that things are not where they need to be, but God was thinking of all the other children they were going to have before they had them. So all the turbulence that takes place in between has a silver lining that people don't know about until you hear that baby cry. Who's hearing what I'm saying? And so when we talk about God's structure and order, he doesn't look at it the way we do because we see things now. Oh, it's out of order. You got your glasses on the table. It's out of order. We don't understand that that is for a reason. And sometimes when we feel like things are not going our way, it's really God's way to get you to a place where you can say, wow, they went my way. God builds and structures and organizes. He is always, everybody know what he's doing? What is he always doing? Even when I am. Right. That song is the truth. He is constantly working. Working. When you're, when you're messing up in school, I'm waiting for all the students to look up at me. When you're messing up in school, there is a storyline there. If you met, It's not that God wills for you to mess up, but his perfect will can be found in that moment when you start doing right. So things start to move in the right direction. Now you're entering, because see, here's the perfect, here's the best scenario I can give you. As you are outside of the will, God will always give you a detour to come back into his will. Hey, man, I'm messing up. You can get better. Man, things ain't going right. Well, you can get better. Praise God. So week five, you know, did, did you guys get, I want to make sure everybody got the, uh, everybody got the uh, syllabus. The new people got their syllabus. New people, did will you get a syllabus? No. New people did not get a syllabus. Every time new people come in here, they need to have one of these because they, we want them to be able to see past, present, and future on a piece of paper. In there, we find that we're not necessarily on week five, but we're doing week five. Week five is the Ten Commandments and Jesus' teaching. Ten Commandments we learned when we were kids. At least some of us did. You know, thou shall not. Thou shall not. But there was an order in that. There literally is a crescendo in that where it goes from one thing of importance to another, but And I shouldn't say crescendo because crescendo is going up. It starts off to the most important and goes down. But all the going down doesn't mean that it's not important. It's just that one is more important. Does that make sense? So when we talk about these 10 commandments in the biblical book of Exodus, by the way, key chapters today in verses, Exodus 20 and Luke chapter 6, all of Exodus 20, by the way, and Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 49. To open this up in a very powerful way, I'm going to recite the Ten Commandments because when you read the Ten Commandments, you are reading the heart of God at a moment when he had to give it. Let me say that again. When you read the Ten Commandments, you are reading the mind and heart of God at that moment. There is literally a release of whatever is going on at that moment, at that moment and today. So I'm going to read it today so we can obtain the anointing of that moment. Let me just give you a visual. God with his finger is using some type of force of lightning, whatever it was, and he's taking a piece of material of earth He's taking this big stone and he he starts writing on it. See it, see it with me, see it with me. No pencil, no pen, no electronic anything. It's his finger, whatever his finger is, and he starts to write these 10 commandments. I am certain that it wasn't just a little sound, I'm certain that it wasn't just a small view of something. I am certain there must have been grandeur. It must have been marvelous, spectacular. And so that moment had power. And that power, I'm speaking it now so that we can obtain it and use it today. Then God gave, everybody with me? Exodus chapter 20. Then God gave the people all these instructions. Then God gave them because they were out of instruction. They were not in alignment. So he had to give them something to be able to move in alignment. The only reason why anyone would set a law on something, catch this now, the only reason why a law would be presented is if that thing is being broken daily. These Ten Commandments must have been the most prominent thing that was going on within the people of Israel. Because if not, he would not have written them. What causes someone to write a law? A law is written when something is out of control in that area. So the government of God, the structure of God is is going to be seen in these Ten Commandments. And what's interesting is that these Ten Commandments... Already written in our hearts, he just wanted to make sure that he made it a visual You go to a tribe that's never heard of God Never heard of God They will know some of these commandments Let's read Then God gave the people all these instructions I am the Lord your God Who rescued you from the land of Egypt The place of your slavery You must not have any other God but me You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. He was really serious about that one. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Ooh, I will not tolerate you giving another God flowers. I want all the affection that's required. Whatever it is you have that's affection, I want that. That's what he's saying. He's, think, about, think about how deep that is. I don't want to share you. There was a song, and don't judge me. There was a song when I was younger that I had to try to understand. You know, when you were little and you sing songs, there's songs you just don't know the words. You just kind of sing the, the melody with it. Mm -hmm. And you don't really know the song And you sound like you you think you know it But that was a song I just couldn't understand what it meant Because it didn't make sense to me In the area of affection It was 99 and a half of you One part of you is not enough I'm not going to sing it Y'all ever heard that song? Anybody? Stop it That was back in the breakdance days Yeah Tag. But some of y'all here were back in those days too, so stop playing. <laughs> and this song said 99 and a half of you, 99 and a half is 99.9. 99. 9. That's still not enough. For God, give me you. Do not give anything of that to anyone else because then you will be effective in giving to others when you give to me first. You will know how to love your spouse, love your children, love your parents if you love me first. Because my love is pure. And once you love me, then I can give you the ability to love others. But sometimes we try to do it on our own and that's why we fail. Somebody. Because we want to love in our ability and we are disabled in our ability to love we have a disability in ability to love we give what we can and that's why it's not enough we give what we can that's why it's not enough because some of us have a little bit of water in our love So when we try to pour into somebody else, our love, it's only a little bit. That's why God says you got to depend on my love so I can fill you up to the top and you're able to give effectively. Who's understanding what I'm saying? It's only a little bit what you have. Why? Because you went through so much stuff throughout the day. Things are difficult. Whatever it is, you only know how to give this much. And then you're mad. Here's the other part. You get upset. At the fact that the other person that you gave this much to is like not showing or reciprocating. Why are they not reciprocating? Because you didn't give them enough. Because all you gave them was your love. And your love was not sufficient. Who's hearing me? So when you tap into God's love, that love fills you up to the top and overflows. And now you can give somebody love and what you realize, what you don't realize is that you're giving God's love to them. That's why they're feeling it. They go, wow, he really, she really loves me. He really loves me. Because you're feeling a perfect love mixed with your love. So now, let's continue reading. It says here, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind of or an image of anything in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection. I have said that for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. If you don't have Jesus, that applies to even a country. A country that rejects Jesus, their children's children feel the effect of that rejection. I'm going somewhere. It's, it's, and, and mind you, all you need to do is look around the world. There are, there are countries that are called sheep countries, and there are countries that are called goat countries. Sheep and goats. Goats. The goat countries, you see the difference between the sheep countries. And then you have the ones that are transgender. They just don't know what they are. They're halfway. You didn't catch that. Then you have some countries that that were once sheep, and they start turning into goat stuff. They start doing goat things. But God honored the sheep part. But then the goat part becomes an issue because now... That honor or that blessing is limited. All right. Even children, I read that, who who love me. Okay, so number verse 7. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. You know what that means? Not, that means don't use the name of God in vain. You know what's messed up? That the whole world has been doing it that's why i say people say why jesus that's why think about how many times people say the name jesus or or god or anything that has to do with god just because think about how many times people just use the name in vain now it's there's some things are taken really literal right and i believe You know, those who would write down the name God, they're fearful of writing his full name. Like, you can't go to Israel and mention God's name without somebody looking at you crazy, right? Especially those who are devout. Why? Because they don't even want to write his name. They'll put G-D instead of putting God because they're fearful of this. The truth is, Jesus died on the cross. Everybody say, Jesus died on the cross. Jesus, on the cross. Jesus, resurrected. Jesus resurrected. Do you know why that's important? Because all of this applies. It's not that Jesus came to dis- dissolve the law. It's that the law had to now go through the, through the filter of Jesus and allows us entry even when we mess up. Not to stay the same, but to become better. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day or rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, and your daughters, your male and female servants. Your livestock can't work. I don't know how you're going to explain that to a cow. No animal is supposed to work on that day, and any foreigner living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. All right. The great argument. Then why do we not acknowledge the Sabbath day? The Sabbath day is what day, guys, of the week? What, what, what day? What day of the week is this today? Sunday is what day of the week? It's the first day of the week. So the Jews look at us as like, these guys are condemned for life. <laughs> they just condemned. They don't, they're not acknowledging the Sabbath. And what does it say about the Sabbath? It's so good to know that Jesus took lordship of the Sabbath. And he said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, every time you acknowledge Jesus and his involvement in your life, You are acknowledging your day of rest, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Every day is a Sabbath because we don't know how to fully honor. So Jesus had to take the full brunt of it and take on the role of it. Mind you, when did Jesus do most of his miracles? When? And how did he do it? It's so funny. How did he do it? He waited till the Pharisees came through the door. He looked at the person who was going to get the miracle, looked at them and goes, now. Because he wanted them to see that the Sabbath was for them and not them to be a slave to the Sabbath. Did you catch that? People become slaves to their ideology. And they start to do things that are strange, but they think that it's to honor God. And God is saying, my son did all of that so that you don't have to go through that because he's the culmination of that. Believe in my son and you will do what's right. Believe in him and you will find yourself in a place where everything works for you because it's really working for him, not for you. Who lives in you? It sounds like an easy question. That's like a Sunday school question. Who lives in you? Jesus. But the truth is, we, we think it's a little kid thing, but it is a major thing. That the reason why we are honored, the reason why you would even be considered holy, is because Jesus in you. Like, God doesn't want to look at you like you guys are looking at your phones right now. I will call you out every single time unless you're writing in the Bible, writing stuff in the Bible. God wants you to know that the reason why he's in love with you is because of his son in you. I don't see my son. I don't see my son. I see my son. It's the the desire for his son. That causes him to say, he still lives in your apartments. He's still there. Okay, if he's still there, then we got stuff for that place. We're going to send things to that place. Because my son still lives there. Even though it's broken down. Even though there's some things that are not right. But at least that one apartment has my son. At least that one place. He resides in. But if, if Jesus is not there, then the father goes. He keeps looking away because he's not looking for you. He's looking for his son. And that's what makes him the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of rest. We rest in him. Please hear me out. If if you don't if you miss this part then you always walk around life complaining about how people don't like you, how things don't go right because you you don't know who your residence is. Who resides in you changes the mood you're in. You people will pass by you if you know that Jesus lives in you, literally lives in you, literally lives in you, then you always knock on that door inside of you. Everything seems to be falling apart but I know you're here. Please help me work on the rest of this, this house that I thought I can work on. Holy Spirit, start start working on all the other areas. Because I know that I am not right. That's the first thing you got to admit to yourself. I'm not right. Can you, can you can I say that with me today? And if you didn't say it, that's the reason why you're not right. So you don't got to say it. I'm not right. I need, I'm in need of a savior, of a Sabbath, of a rest in him. Next one. Now, you see how long that verse 8 is, right? All the way to verse 11. That was really a big deal. But those first four commandments were all about God and man. All God and man. The next six are all about humanity, coexisting with each other. One of the first elements that come right, right after the fourth one is the first issue that we have, even as children. First issue, honor your father and mother And this is the only one with the promise. This is the only one that has a sequence to it. This is the only one that tells you, if this, then that. Honor your mother, your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life. Meaning that not only is it long, because you can have a long life and be in a wheelchair. We don't want a long life like that, right? A long and full life. That means every time you toss a word out, you better turn that thing to Jesus fast. Because in the courtroom of heaven, guess who also has all these laws? Let me, you don't get that. Guess who else has all the laws in the courtroom of heaven? You would say Jesus God yet he does. God knows this. Who has all these laws is the accuser found in Revelation chapter 12. The accuser goes to this what we know. He goes to what we know. And he pulls out what we know and goes, "Hey, wait, 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 wait." Um uh, number 5. You know cuz that's how they do. It. They don't got to say it. And number 5. This person number 5, I can do something to them. Let me, uh, let me give them a headache or something. Let me, let, me, let me mess up something in their life because I am allowed to. Because according to the codes of heaven, God's fairness, man, this is so good. I pray you get this. God is so fair that he's even fair to the devil. God is so just his justice is so intense that he even has justice for him. Don't think the devil's gonna be in the lake of fire just because he's a devil. He got crimes <laughs> that pile up. But understand that it requires an event. So God has to listen. I know it's gonna sound crazy to some of you. God has to listen to Satan in the courtroom of heaven. Satan has a voice in the courtroom. When he accuses you of what you really did. And if you don't have Jesus as your attorney, you are hit. You're done. That law, that section has to be honored. And God has to go, okay, yeah, it's fair. Because God is always looking for what's fair. Why do you think Jesus had to die on the cross? Why do you think Jesus had to die on the cross? You know why he had to die on the cross? Because without Jesus dying on the cross, it would not have been fair. To who? To the enemy. I done messed y'all up. I done messed y'all up. I think you got it. It would not have been fair to the enemy because the enemy required a law to counter the law. He required somebody, somebody's got to go down. I remember listening to, listening to some lawyers that were sitting down together, and their comment was this, somebody has to go and do the time. We don't care who it is, but somebody has to do time. Are you with me? Somebody has to do time. So the devil is going, hold on a second. Abraham did this. I'm going to show you something that's going to blow your mind. Abraham did all these things so he shouldn't be allowed to go to heaven. So God created another place that did not allow them to go into heaven yet until Jesus died. Let's go there. Luke 16, 19. I need you to understand what really took place, folks. You got to realize that your life right now is in the balance of situations and circumstances that took place way before you were born, that God already thought about it, and that in heaven there is an accuser who gets a moment at the podium. He gets to speak against you. That's why he's called the accuser. Luke 16, 19, look what it says. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died. Everybody say he died. All right, this is a story that's not, it's not a parable. Because the moment a name is mentioned, it's no longer a parable. Unfortunately, people did not understand this. So they would call this the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It's not a parable. It's a true story with true people that are in there. Because there's going to be one in here that we do know about that Jesus mentions on purpose. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham. Who's that? At the heavenly banquet, the rich man also died and was buried. And he went to the place of the dead. There in in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity and Lazarus over here and and sent Lazarus over here to dip. The tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. We could talk about a whole lot of stuff here. Like how in the world did you know that I was Abraham? How do you, how, when you die, how do you know people? There was no cameras back then. So how do you die? I know that you're Abraham. There was no sign. There was no like tag. Uh, Hi, I'm, my name is Abraham. None of the above, but yet they knew. He knew who he was. But Abraham said to him, son. Remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, "Please, Father Abraham, at least send at least send him to my father's home." You know what he's saying? Who did he say to send to Who did he say to send to his father's home? Huh? But what was Lazarus? He's asking Abraham to resurrect Lazarus. No, no. no. We're gonna read it again. We're gonna read it again. Then the rich man said, "Please, Father Abraham, at least send him." Remember, he was already talking about who? He said, "Let him dip his finger." In water so the hymn is clear we know who him is so he's saying can you please at least send him to my father's home why i have five brothers and i want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment but Abraham said, "Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your, have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote, Ten Commandments." The rich man replied, "No, Father Abraham. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, but if someone is sent to them from the dead." Then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. That's what you call a legal case law. He didn't realize what he was saying, but what he said was, if somebody would be raised from the dead, somebody got to come from the dead. So who came from the dead? So Jesus understood this and said, all right, I'm going to fulfill this one. I'll come back from the dead. And I'll fulfill what he's requesting. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Lord. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. This was not a parable. This was a story to let us know. That even something like this will be honored in the courtroom. And Jesus dying on the cross, doing what he did, was so that we would be able to have an alternative area or route to say, I can still be saved even when I mess up. Jesus took the consequence of our sins. Like each one of us here. Uh, don't answer the question. I'm going to ask a question, but don't answer it. I just want it to, to kind of float in your head. What do you deserve? No, no, don't answer. I want nobody to answer. I just want you to go into your picturesque mind and ask yourself the question, what do you deserve? See, who really is allowed to go to heaven? Jesus, let let me take it a step further. Eddie, work with me here. Watch this. The only reason why you would be scanned and the doors would open, you know, the scans and you open up. The only reason is because your fingerprints and the iris of your eye is Jesus and not yours. The moment it's you, it has to do a backtrack of you. It's got to do, what's that called? A background check on you. And your background check is what? Thumbs down. You don't make it. You only make it when you surrendered your digital. When you surrender what you see to have his eyes. When you surrender these things, you become like him. You get to the door and it goes, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine when the person goes in, devil. <laughs> because the fa- your father is not. <laughs> you, you remember that? John chapter 8? No, no, no. Jesus said, he, and he, I'm, I'm sure that was hilarious. We read it like real still, but I'm sure it was really funny. No, your father's not Abraham. I know Abraham. Your father is the devil. And they had to accept that. That's your father. Because he's the father of lies. All right, let's continue. So now, honor your father and your mother. That's the, that's the main one. All of us, it doesn't matter what age you are. Where's my mother? I honor you, ma. Yes, I still honor her. I have to. It doesn't stop because you get older. It doesn't stop at any moment for, for any reason. Honor your mother and your father so that you can live a long life. Oh, no. And then the land, in the land, the Lord your God is giving you. I'll take that too. I'll take that too. I'm going to have Q&A right after, I promise. I'm going to jump on this fast so I can get, get it moving. So watch this. The next one, the next one is important too, right? You must not murder. In a society, you shouldn't murder. Why, why is murder bad? Because you're taking the first and the second one and making it your own. You didn't you catch it. It's okay. We're going we're gonna to get this. Murder is bad. Because you go back to one and two. Because the only one who should be able to take your life is who? So you're taking what place? When you take somebody's life. So murder becomes bad because you're doing your, you're violating the first and second law. You're considering yourself God by killing someone else. You must must not commit adultery. And it's not adultery the way you would want it to be. You know, because we come up with all these different types of scenarios. It's, no, no, you should not commit adultery. What David did was adultery. And you know where it started? It was David coveting. See, because a lot of these, these, these laws, they uh breaking of laws, they all kind of work with each other. Because for it to be, for one thing to happen, one thing takes place. So one is the lie. Don't lie, right? Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not covet. And then ultimately, what did he do? Anybody know? What did David do when he looked at Bathsheba and he had a, um, a drone looking at her? <laughs> yeah, back then they had different kinds of drones. What happened? What was next? Oh, y'all don't know the story? Let me tell you the story in five seconds. David was looking at Bathsheba and going, man, oh, man, knowing that she was married to who? Y'all don't know his name? Y'all don't know his name? Who who said it? Thank you. The the what? the, The what? Uriah the Hittite. Thank you. Uriah the Hittite who was what? Loyal to David. Loyal to a fault. Because David took him out of the battle and said, come on, man, and gave him something to drink. And he tried, he tried to get him to sleep with his wife because David had already slept with his wife. And he got her pregnant. So he wanted to eliminate the evidence of that. So when he saw that Uriah the Hittite did not give in to When he saw that Uriah the Hittite said, no, my king, listen listen to this. Watch, see this. No, my king, I will not sleep with my wife while there's a war going on out there. I would rather be with my brothers out there and fight with them because I know that they're not with their wives. So why should I be with mine? Hello? So you know what he does? David goes, oh, my God, I'm busted. What do I do? So he goes, and look at how he kills him, though. It's not just kill him. It's how he did it. He goes to his general. Hey, Joab, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Yeah, this is what happened. This is what took place. My bad. But I want you to take him. Give him a letter to be at the front line. But don't you know, David, King David? that that's where they're killing everybody? That's where everyone's, they're they're dying. The front line, they're dying. That's my point, Joab. Sent him to the front line and he dies. And David thought, man, I got this. Now I'm good. What he didn't know is that he created a monster in Joab. And one day I'll tell you the, the whole story. But he turned Joab into his worst enemy. Because Joab had a secret. Everybody say secret. Some secrets that people have can destroy you. Joab, don't say nothing. It's me and you. Joab did that. He didn't tell anybody. But when the time came, Joab stepped to him and said, wipe the tears out your eyes. Man, what do you mean? What are you crying for? Get out there and talk to the people. How dare you? He lost his power because of that moment. You must not steal. It's obvious. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. That's lies. No stealing, no lying. You must not testify. I read that. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female. So coveting is the first part of the other part. Everybody know what coveting is? It's like envy. When you covet something, I covet, I should be mine. Why is this yours? This is my precious, not your precious. That's what coveting is. And a lot of us moving, coveting, thinking that we're okay and we're not. That's why we need Jesus. Because all our other apartments ain't right. And Jesus lives in one. As long as he lives in one, we, got, we have the opportunity to see all the other ones get better. Praise God. These are the commandments. These commandments are seen as essential rules for living a righteous and just life, guiding the behavior of the Israelites, and setting a moral framework, which we all need. That moral framework is not just for us in our homes, but for society. Because if you live next to someone who's a thief, it will affect you. This is why the gospel is necessary. Because the more we can spread the good news, the more we're protecting ourselves. Did y'all get that? If my neighbors around me are not getting what I'm getting, then they can be a threat to what I get. So it's my desire to make sure that my world around me is at peace. So I need to make sure that everyone is receiving what I received so that I can live in peace. So when you're selfish and you say, I'm not going to tell anybody, that selfish will make you selfish for a living. That didn't get that. That was one of those SNL jokes. All right, well listen, bottom line is at the end of the day, you must know for sure that your life is, you're trying to live a life according to God's will. Let him reside in you. If he lives in you, then you don't have to do much of the work other than allow him to live in you. So what does that mean, allow Jesus to live in you? Give him the resources he needs to live in you. Jesus doesn't need to be told what to do. If you allow the food and the water, if you sustain, if there's sustainability in you, this is good stuff, if there's sustainability in you, that sustainability of Jesus in you will cause you to live a life according to his will and more. In other words, you will have more than enough because the provider is being provided for. (laughs) The provider who lives in you is being provided for. You're reading your word. You're praying. You're seeking him in spirit and truth. You're worshiping. You're not lazy and hanging around, not doing anything. You're doing what God is in, he, he desires for you to do. So he resides in you. You give him su- sustenance, and he sustains you. I'm not going to go into that. That's a deep message, so I'm just going to keep it at that. So the next thing here I want to touch on, as you know, this, uh, this whole concept of the Ten Commandments has always been a religious and cultural history of Judaism and Christianity. Um, everyone knows about the Ten Commandments, but even if you don't know, like I said earlier, you know it in your heart. You go to any tribe that never, never read the Ten Commandments, they know not to kill. They know lying is bad. They know how to honor their mother and their father. A lot of times these these, uh, third world countries and these indigenous places, they honor their parents more than the American way. No, that's too much. All right. I want to go down to analyzing Jesus' teaching in Luke. And I'm only going to take about 10 more minutes in that, maybe less than that. Jesus' teaching in Luke, equivalent to that of the Ten Commandments, emphasizes a theme of compassion. So while the Father was showing the consequence or giving you, laying out the law, the Son kind of threw in another area there. And the themes of compassion, humility, love, social justice. And one of the most prominent of all these teachings is the Sermon on the Mount. And that one is found in Luke. Let's go there, Luke chapter 6, verse 20 to 49. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. It is a collection of Jesus' teaching delivered to his disciples first. Disciples first, and then the crowd. Everything Jesus did was for the disciples first. Every miracle, every healing, every supernatural event was not for the people. It was for his twelve. Did y'all catch that? His priority, more than healing the people, was that the 12 would get it. The reason why his ministry was three and a half years is because that's how long it took him to get it, and they still didn't get it. But he chose the most raw, hard-headed, ragamuffin individuals because he knew... That that story that he was about to cause to be explosive around the world for generations required the least of them. He needed not the doctors and and the, the philosophers. He wanted the ones that didn't even know how to read. At least some of them didn't know how to read. Blessings, here are some of the key aspects, by the way. Blessings and woes. In the Beatitudes, we find that Jesus pronounces blessings on the poor. He pronounces blessings on the hungry, the persecuted. He highlights God's care for the marginalized and also obviously the oppressed. He contrasts these blessings with woes upon rich and well-fed. Now, understand something. There's nothing wrong with being rich unless rich Locks you in. Being wealthy is not the problem. Being a slave to that wealth is. And there are many who are slaves to wealth. And their desires is to get to a place, you know, million dollars. Oh my God. As if your life is going to change. As if the million dollars are going to change your character. Can you imagine bad character with a million dollars? We've seen it. We see it all the time. Bad character with a lot of money is a dangerous cancer. And sometimes that cancer takes itself out. Most of the time it does. Love for enemies is one of the teachings on there. That's a hard one. And be honest, be honest, be honest here, guys. How many people here love their enemies? Show of hands. Praise God. God bless you. And I'm I'm not being cynical. If you've reached a place that you believe that that that's your apex and you got to that place, I thank God for you. But here's the next step. Because if you reach that step, then it's going to be important for you to gather people around you and show them how to get to that. The responsibility of being a superhero is that now you got to save lives. My bad, I got now you got to do it. Loving your enemies is difficult because you know that when you try to love them, they're going to try to harm you. That's what makes it hard. Like There's conversations I can have with people and and tell them, you know, everything's okay. But it's the response that is what people are afraid of. What is going to reciprocate? How are they going to act if I come to them, invite them to dinner? What are they going to say to me? You don't want to be hurt further. So you don't want that to be the case. Now, what is Jesus saying? So. And and I'm going to say so because I want you to know that I can I will endure a lot so that you can also endure. If I live in you, I'm giving you the example of endurance. I reside in you, I will give you what I got. But you gotta get over the hurdle of what you're thinking. But they're gonna, but they're gonna forget about that. Oh, I'm preaching to me too. I'm preaching to me. Because it hurts. Those knives are real knives. They really hurt. And when you wiggle it even more, because see, it'd be be okay if they, uh, and then walk away. No, it's, uh, uh. pass by again, uh. because their desire is to see you in pain. And when God is living In you, you walk around and you have God's love that shields that. And so, even those individuals that are seeking to harm you, they get harmed because they're not harming you. Yes. And when they see that, they go, and that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. Don't worry about it. There's a courtroom. Let me say it again. Don't worry about it. There's a courtroom. Don't speak on your own behalf. Because you're going to mess up. Make sure that you let the lawyer speak on your behalf. Do You know why? You know why, Deacon Jaira? Because you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say shall and will be held against you in a court of law. You have the right to Jesus. You have the right to an attorney. If you can't afford one, the blood will give you one. You have the right, but I'm giving you now the opportunity to understand that silence is one of your options. No, but I got to tell, I'm, I'm going to, I have no hair in my tongue. I'm going to tell him off. All right, that's your moment in court. Take it. That's your court moment. Ra, ra, ra. And God looks at you and goes, I was going to do more than that. All they got was a mouthful. I was about to take this, take that, and that. Let me do it. And don't desire for me to do that, because then that means you're rah-rahing. Ooh, I love this. Recognize that I am the one who balances. God is always balancing the scale. You ever get that itch that you just want to tell somebody off? This yep. <laughs> is. <laughs> Just kind of pass by the person. God bless you. God bless you. You just want to tell somebody off because it's supposed to make you feel better. That moment is your courtroom moment. You know how many people fail that? You know how many times I failed it? All right, all right, you're going to do that to me. You know how many times you failed it? You know how many arguments could have been later on you thought about like, dang, you didn't have to go that hard. We didn't have to go that hard. But you were trying to see the other person get knocked out, not realizing that when you knock them out, it's a courtroom event. It's an event and evidence that could be used in the courtroom. Boy, this church get this right, boy, we're going to fly. Call somebody up, and you just want that phone. You want them to answer because you just got something. Just answer. Go ahead, Just answer. Something. You'll see. You'll see. No, ain't nobody going to play me like that. <laughs> so you talk to yourself before the, before the, the phone is even answered. And, you'll see. You'll see. Watch. 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 That moment is your moment. And God is telling you, what are you going to do? Are you going to be satisfied with your little ramping and raving? Or are you going to let me handle it because I know it really counts? Praise God. Love for enemies. Radical love by urging those to love their enemies, to to do good to those who hate them, to bless those who curse them. And pray for those who mistreat them. This teaching challenges the norm of revenge and promotes forgiveness and reconciliation. Revenge is not of God. Everybody say that. Revenge is not of God. So if you take revenge, even in a conversation, you could try to take revenge, by the way. It doesn't have to be a plotted thing for days. In an actual argument, you could try to take revenge because they said something to you that it didn't feel good, so you want to make sure they don't feel good. And it gets bigger and bigger until you're pressing nuclear bombs. And what you didn't realize is that the place where that person lives is where you live. And your aim to destroy them destroyed your world. And you walk away going, see, I won, I won, I won, I won. And everybody's dead. And you're going, you won. What did you win? Oh, Jesus, help us. How much time do I have? How much time do I have? No, no, it's not whatever I want. I want to make sure I follow those parameters. (laughs) Non-judgment and mercy. 15 minutes? Thank you. Jesus emphasizes no judging others and encourages the spirit of mercy. He uses the metaphor of removing the plank from one's own eyes before trying to remove the speck from another's eye. Can you imagine that? You know, take the speck out your eye and you're hitting them while you, you have this big old log in your eye. You can be better. You can be better. <laughs> this big old thing in your eye. Yeah. Why are you not taking care of what's in your eye? Remove that, and at least you have a little credibility when you're saying, there's a speck in your eye. And make sure that when you say there's a speck in your eye, it's because you care about the speck in their eye, not to call out the speck in their eye. Because some things need to be whispered in people's ears and not told in front of everyone. Hey! Anybody out there? Sometimes somebody's flaws are not so that you can go, man, look, you're wearing some crazy s- shoes and slippers. What's going on? They're golden. Get better. Why did everybody else have to hear that? Instead of going, you know what, you got slippers on? <laughs> as a matter of fact, I got a good pair for you outside. <laughs> Meaning, I bought her one. So now that shows I really care. I got your whole if I don't like your outfit, tell listen, if you don't like this, then get me something better. And you got permission to tell me whatever you want. You got some ugly shoes. Okay, where are my new ones? Where are my new ones, because you know they're ugly. That goes with a whole lot of stuff, guys. I pray this message is penetrating. Golden rule. Here's the golden rule that Jesus teaches. Come on, deacon. Treat others as you would like to be treated. That's it. That's it. That's the whole, that's the full Ten Commandments, guys. Like all God had to do was just write that. Treat everybody as you want to be treated. Moses, give them that. That would have been enough. But, you know, we need to to break down. Humans need, we need the whole breakdown of what is. And still mess up. This principle emphasizes empathy and fairness in relationships. Building on a solid foundation, the parable of the wise builder and the foolish builder illustrates the importance of building one's life on solid foundation. Movement and building is not enough. The material you use to build is even more important. You can build a a tower on sand, but it's still sand. You can make it look like the Twin Towers, but it'll, it'll come down. Why? Because the material is just as important as what it is. What did you use to build? And what did you build on? Who is Jesus? Who is he? In the old testament, who is he? How many times did Jesus show himself in the old testament? How many times? Anybody? Okay. I'll help you. Because we're talking about Exodus. What did he say? He had an answer, but he says it low. Give me the educated guess. Say again? Louder. Through the number three. Okay, amen. That's right. He does show himself through the number three. That's good. Educated guess. Anywhere anywhere else? Anyone else? Okay, guess what? The rock that was hit in the desert was another example of who Jesus is. Jesus is our rock, and He's the rock of our. Come on, y'all know that. Some of y'all know that song. He's the rock of our salvation. He is the foundation stone. So when you build on Jesus, you build on a rock that's impenetrable. You know they used to sing a song in Spanish when I was a kid, and I really thought they were singing about my family. Because you're laughing, because you know what song it is? It was all the way, all you know those yeah, you're laughing because y'all know. I thought it was about my family. but peña is rock. So the rock that's flowing in water. That's who Jesus is, and I want to build on something that has sustenance already. He's not just a rock. He's a rock that provides water, so I never lack, because water is life. Ah, Jesus. Fruitful living, Jesus compares a good tree producing good fruit and a bad tree producing bad fruit. This metaphor emphasizes the connection between one's actions and their character. I don't care how good you are in anything. If your character ain't right, you're not going to be able to sustain it. A lot of people are good. Let me tell you, you find that some people they get invited to preach because they heard about how good they are. They get there, they do what they do, but later on they don't get invited back because their character was louder than their performance. People are watching. You can't. You fool one, two. You can't fool everyone. Somebody's. Somebody has discernment, and is going way home. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. But but he's saying Jesus. So does the devil. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Does he know Jesus? Remember what those seven sons of Siva said. They got a surprise. Because it's not just saying the name of Jesus. It's understanding the saying of the name of Jesus. Generosity in giving. Jesus encourages generosity, advising his followers to give freely without expecting anything in return. Now, understand something. Jesus wants all of us to be farmers. To be a farmer means you've got to let go that which you want to use for future use. A farmer will literally take all of his stuff, all of his seeds that could possibly be for eating at the moment. And he says, do not touch those because those have been separated for our future living. (laughs) And some of us will start eating what is supposed to be for the future. And we're going, mm, this is good. And it wasn't supposed to be in our belly. It was supposed to be in the ground. If we learn the law of exchange, harvesting. So harvest means that there was something in the ground. Something had to go into the ground first. You know what the problem is? That because we live in a place of enterprise, what's mine is mine. And that's it. And we think that saving is going to be the only way to survive. And God is saying, yes, save a portion, but make sure there's another portion that's circulating for you. You can go through a lot of money real fast and not realize that some of that was assigned for something else to give you more later on. No, no, but, but you know, we got to make sure we got to be wise with our funds. Well, that's Wisdom. He wants everybody to be like him. Because he gave his son, his only son, so that we would be here today. We are the product of a farmer's mentality. Jesus was put into the ground, Jesus was put into the ground and was sealed. And out of that seed called Jesus came all of us. Jesus, God understood when you got to give your precious, give it and watch it grow. You use that case law every time you give. You know what I do every time? Father, here it is. Because giving is going to be parallel to that. And, and, And it's interesting because I just did this this weekend. We were talking about exactly that. I was with a couple of very well-to-do individuals, very well-to-do. And we talked about this area. And a lot of them, not all of them are like full believers in God, right? But the one thing they do believe is the power of giving. They've realized that if they release, they get. And that release, is it doesn't stay the same. You know why it doesn't stay the same, guys? Because if you get increase, then why would you give the same amount? I have to look at everybody on that one. Everybody, everybody. Because we think if we do the same thing next year, that the same, I'm going to get the same harvest because it's the same thing. God says increase for increase. The more you give... Don't stay status quo if your harvest is growing. Give more and your harvest grows more. No, but this is what we have. Remember this, right? This is the number. And that number stays like that for 20 years. I grew up in that. You know, my mother was sitting here, she'd, know, she'd be laughing with me. The trail passed by, pie dollars. Pass by five dollars and give me, give me four back. Keep one. You didn't get that. Pass it by five. Nobody likes talking about this stuff, but it's the truth. We've got to be, we've got to learn to be farmers. And know that when we farm, when we're being farmers, we get farmers results. And they would give. And I remember I remember my mother. She's good, she's cool now, right? She's good now. But back then she would tell me, whisper in my ear, go tell the usher to go get give me four dollars back and keep one dollar. <laughs> I'm doing it to mom. I'm doing it to mom because mom mom is okay with that because she's not like that now. Mom was like that. And I'll tell her about it before y'all tell her, because y'all. <laughs> But you're tired of tellers. You probably be the first one. When he cried out, I'm like, yeah, you're the first one to tell her. But the truth is, that's what I saw. I witnessed that growing up. And guess what? The church, they were happy with. Father, help me. They would put it on this chart in the end. And it would be like $150, $150. And everybody, $150, would announce it. they would announce it. to: We got $150, yeah! And the church is packed. And if you did the ratio on that, that means everybody gave a penny. So about harvest. Be ready to give for harvest. Don't go look at your next door neighbor. Done. Don't really go looking at your next door neighbor and looking at them and saying, why are they so prosperous? And then look at your backyard and look at their backyard and go, why do they, why do they have a whole lot of planting? And why do they have a, load of a whole a bunch of oranges and apples? Did you plant anything? Why are you expecting what they got? You didn't plant a thing. But I have the property. So what? You didn't plant. And on that note, I'm going to conclude. Please stand.